Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Erica, and welcome back to another episode of In Doubt. Today, we're joined by Jonathan Evans, leader of the Salvation Army Boundless Vancouver, a church plant in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Jonathan is joined by Daniel to discuss the challenges surrounding the poor in our society and how we can best serve them. This is a big topic to cover, and this episode is part one of two as Daniel and Jonathan begin to break down some of the stigmas and biases surrounding the poor. Poverty is all around us, whether we choose to pay attention to it or not. But what role do we as Christians have? Are we called to serve the less fortunate, or are we called to turn a blind eye? We all know the answer to that question, but how do we practically live it out? This is a great episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and I'm joined today by Jonathan Evans, who is a pastor who works for the Salvation Army and has planted a church in Vancouver in the downtown east side, but uh, lives in Chinatown in Vancouver. So uh, welcome to the program, Jonathan. Good to be with you. Thanks. Good to be here. Now, Jonathan, the first thing that comes to mind as I'm thinking about the downtown east side as I'm thinking about, you know, Chinatown, which if, if people don't know Vancouver, this kind of Chinatown will merge into an area that a lot of people might actually know, kind of Hastings Street, where you see a lot of poverty. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is what does it mean to be a Christian and, and to interact with poverty? Because we see throughout the scriptures, Jesus going to the poor, proclaiming to the poor, but it's also something that I don't think Christians do a great job at. And it's easy, especially living myself in Abbotsford, being away from, you know, a massive amount of homelessness. You still see homelessness here, but not on that type of scale. I want to have a discussion around that and uh, explore a little bit of what we see with, with God's bias to the poor, uh, for the poor. And I guess my question to lead this off is, when you look at the city of Vancouver, what breaks your heart the most? What breaks my heart most is when I see, um, and I think that's the other part, and the way that we've structured our society is to not see and to not care to protect ourselves and live in our own comfortable places. Uh, often that's, you'll know people who go to uh, go on a mission trip and they'll come back uh, changed and they'll want to talk about something because they saw something. They put themselves in a, a different situation to see. So I, I may walk out my door and see something and I could describe some of that right now, but it would be probably manipulative for me to do so. And I would just actually encourage your listeners to have a look for themselves, but to look, uh, seeing that these people are God's children, that these are people made in the image of God. And what breaks my heart is to see people who are created for something and they're not living that out and they're less than human. They're not, you don't take away their humanity, but they're living less than human. And that starts in their broken heart, their broken story, their broken lives. And we see that now in broken relationships, broken bodies, uh, broken ways of living in the world. And uh, it's devastating. It, 
it's compelling to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, walking around the area of Hastings and, and walking around Vancouver, it's there's this this juxtaposition that you see because from from Hastings, from this vantage point of these homeless people, these this this broken area. I mean, it's a few city blocks of just it, it looks completely different. You have these skyscrapers in the distance and overshadowing people who are, are so broken. And I, I do resonate with you in the sense that they're not living the way that God intends. And it's just easy to, for Christians to be like, try to throw a bandaid on it, be like, but you need to now live the way that God intends, and that's going to solve all your problems. But I think what you're seeing is it's not that easy. Yeah, well, and uh, it depends on the, our understanding of the gospel too. And I think that's like when we look at the gospel as a band-aid solution, like just believe this and then your life's going to be in order. Like that's just a huge reduction of what God's good news is for us today. And I look back to the Old Testament and what righteousness was, was right relationships. And most of the righteous relationships were uh, described especially in the prophets, but you even find it in the law, is having right relationships with the marginalized and being a person of mercy and compassion. So I think we really miss out on that. Um, and yeah, we might try to jump to Band-Aid solutions. So here's the other thing. like, So it hurts me when I see people who are less than human, but then often what I see is, let me give you an example. I saw a school bus park right at Maine and Hastings and a bunch of teenagers got off and they had guitars and drums and signs repent for the kingdom of God is near. They really reduced this Christian message. And then they began feeding people and they were feeding people, not a great meal. Uh, they were feeding a meal that made them feel really good for feeding people. And then they proceeded to, sing their own worship songs and preach messages that further marginalized, further made people less than. They were not on the same level. And it was even they were on platforms and standing on chairs and they were literally talking down to people. And I think that's actually, this is a picture of how we Christians can really get this wrong. Because sometimes we think, the gospel has made us better than people. And that's not, being a Christian is not about being better. It's about being in the process of being saved and knowing that God's doing that in our lives. Can I ask what they were preaching? Uh, like, if you give your life to Jesus, you can get out of addiction. Or, uh, you know, Jesus loves you. Like, they, they would say things like that. But... Um, Jesus has a plan for you. Uh, they would do testimonies. And this is the other kind of part is we need to be wise on how we try to share the gospel. And uh, a guy named Marshall McClure says, the, he's a Canadian thought guy on communication. And he, he, he was the, the medium is the message guy, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. And so what other context do we have teenagers forcefully preaching at people who could be their grandparents or, you know, we, people who are suffering and needing healing, we don't bring teenagers into a hospital ward and say, Hey, you know, and here's this triumphant message. It's just, 
not considering your audience and it's not considering how you're doing it. And so I've seen this multiple times where, and I've even seen real, and it's like me, I do this too. You know, I remember my wife said, uh, what's this in a, you know, a dishcloth. And she's like, what'd you use this for? Uh, we're cleaning up. And she's like, did you wipe the kids faces with this? And I was like, uh, yeah, see, I had good intentions. I wanted to help my kids. I wanted to clean up their face but I didn't do it the right way. And by doing that, I could have, you know, who knows what bacteria or viruses I put on their face and you just don't do that. Well, sometimes we think Christian mission work or coming to the downtown East side or interacting with people who are in the margins. We think, Oh, I can do that, but we haven't put our thought or so a lot of the times, like another example, a church might come down here, set up some tables and hand out, some sandwiches, it seems really good, uh, but sometimes those sandwiches are made with mayonnaise and that, that sandwich doesn't go into a refrigerator right away or anything. So people actually get food poisoning and you, know, you might have meant something really good, but in your interaction and even in the way that you're dealing with and trying to help somebody, sometimes you can hurt it. And there's actually books about this, like one book by Bob Lupton that I'd recommend is called Toxic Charity. And another really well-known one uh, is When Helping Hurts. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Uh, John, did you, did you grow up in Vancouver? Uh, I, I grew up all over uh, the country, a pastor's or Salvation Army officer's kid. So I had a different upbringing. And the Salvation Army has always been sort of on the side of the poor. So often where I grew up was the wrong side of town. Uh, I went to an elementary school where... Pretty much half of the school came off the First Nations Reserve. And uh, I went to Booth Memorial High School after General William Booth, but um, it was in, it, they shut the school down now. But uh, about half the population came from the Outport, Newfoundland, um, Bay, they were called Baywaps. So they were like poor, marginalized people from out around the cove. So that's, uh, and then I just, this is the thing is, I just saw my parents interact with people in the margins like they're normal people. And that was, if you're wondering, you know, what should I do? I was, treat them like you would your best friend or your aunt or your mom, you know, like people first are people. And so the best way to interact with people is by acting normally. Treating them like they're actual people. So, but... I guess it's not that easy, right? Because let's use Hastings again. You're walking down there and like you described, you see people strung out sometimes. And I think that can, especially to, you know, let's use that group of teenagers, that can seem really overwhelming. And to them, when, when someone's strung out on drugs or they're, these people are, and I feel so horrible saying these people, and correct me if that is insensitive, but just seeing... The, the homeless population and those who are on drugs walk around aimlessly. It's almost like you're watching The Walking Dead where the, there's, there's, you're like, you know that's a person, a human person, but like it seems like there's nothing. It just looks like a body. And it's, it's very... How did you, I guess, overcome that initial fear that, or maybe because you grew up around it, you, it wasn't that fear, that there wasn't a fear there, but how would you encourage people who see this and are just afraid? 
Well, I think that's a really good point that you're making. And you're really helping me understand how other people view this because you're right.、Um, this has been a part of my life and normal. That's what salvationists do. We give hope today. We look and care for the last, the lost, and the least. That's normal to us. And what I want to pick up on is when you said, hey, that's like these people, like how do we categorize? How do we describe people who are other or different than us? There's different ways, like professionals and stuff. We might say, these are our clients. Or we might say, like you said, I don't really have a word, those people. What I like to do is use biblical language. And I think it's helpful. So the story of the Good Samaritan does it well because Jesus uses the word neighbor. What's very shocking about this is nobody is a next door neighbor in that story. We have a Samaritan on a road. He's traveling, and we have robbers and thieves. We have an innkeeper, and we have a Samaritan. And there's racial stuff in there.、Uh, but what we know is this guy is marginalized and beaten. And Jesus says, Who was the neighbor? Well, the Samaritan was. And he says, Go and do likewise. But the neighbor was a neighbor because he helped and he saw a need and treated somebody with what they needed and was generous and sacrificial in that. So, I think that the best way to view people as is that's my neighbor. That's the person that the Bible talks to me about and says, Hey, are you going to cross the other side of the road? Are you going to avoid this for very good reasons, maybe cultural reasons?、Uh, like, and that's the other side of the road. What is that to your listener today? Is it not going to a certain part of town? Is it Not looking at those things, but I think that this is what we get in Jesus is he leaves comfort, he leaves privilege, and he enters dangerous, uncomfortable spaces to engage in relationship with humanity.、Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great place to jump in here because there's a fancy word we use for that, which is the incarnation. And when I, when I think about、uh, Jesus coming down to earth, What you just described is exactly that in the incarnation. Jesus leaves the, the palace of heaven, all the comforts of heaven, of living in bliss with the Father and the Holy Spirit, them being together. He leaves that, comes down to our dirty, broken, fallen earth, and then begins to serve all who would listen, especially the poor and the marginalized. And, and you see this prophesied that the, the Messiah would, would come in, I think it's Isaiah 61. The, the year of the Lord's favor, right? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And you see this early on. Jesus comes and does this. He's meeting with the poor, the sick, the marginalized, telling the children who are marginalized to come to him. And he, he's a magnet for this. And I, we need to do likewise. Yeah, I think this is all about the movement of heaven to earth. And this is the announcement of the kingdom of God. I think about, yeah, in, in that、uh, and in Luke's gospel, that's what Jesus uses to announce the beginning of his ministry.、Uh, this is what the kingdom is all about is the leveling of the playing field. And he, in his richness, becomes poor. And why does he do that? To lift the poor. Into his richness. And that happens through his relationship. He, 
this is the great thing about the incarnation. God doesn't send an instruction book. He doesn't send a program. He doesn't uh, tell people to enlighten themselves religiously, super fasting. He does everything on our behalf and he approaches us. It's the movement of God to humanity. And so this is the implication for Christian missions or how we respond to the poor is this. And this is pretty commonplace talk in the church now is you don't go into missions to bring Jesus to people. You go into missions to discover Jesus is already there. Mm. And that's the great thing is there's something in Wesleyan theology, which the Salvation Army subscribes to called prevenient grace. And it's the grace that goes before and God's activity that's already at work. Well, if we're at work and we're finding Jesus in the poor, or what like Mother Teresa called the sacrament of the poor, so we're finding God in this, then we find out this is devotion. This is Devotion isn't just a quiet time that I have with God. How important that is. In fact, please don't try to do Christian mission if you're not daily connecting with God and in your Bible because you can do much harm. The other thing is, this is a devotion to God. What you treat the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do unto me. And the question is, well, is in this passage Jesus referring to just Christians? There's some good evidence that he means that. Uh, But I'd like to extend that even further and say, you know, because of the incarnation, Jesus shows us, yeah, we are all his brothers and sisters because he became one of us. Jesus is brother, whether we're in the salvation community or not, or sister. Everyone's included because of the common humanity. Uh, And so what we want to realize, though, is the interconnection of divinity and humanity colliding in the same place. And I got to say, that happens so profoundly in contexts like the downtown east side, uh, where there's a poverty. Uh, And here's the other thing is, and anybody doing missions on the other side of the world or even in America can recognize the poverty we experience in Vancouver or the downtown east side is not the same kind of poverty as elsewhere. Like people actually have a lot of resources. So if you're in the downtown east side and on disability, you're in the top 85% of the world. So there's got to be another kind of poverty that people are experiencing. And that kind of poverty should actually inform what we should do. So when you say another type of poverty, uh, what are you referring to? Like a spiritual poverty, emotional poverty, or is it just physical poverty? Uh, I like to talk about the poverty, well, universally, poverty is not being connected to what we need. And so it's a lack of connections and or a lack of a way of living in the world in a way that we can get what we want in healthy, livable ways. There's many different spheres that we can talk about. And if this was like a Bible school class, we'd probably have the time to explore those. But the obvious ones are physical and then social, relational, the connection with oneself, the psychological, and then ultimately the spiritual. In a great book, this guy isn't a Christian, but he's the downtown Eastside doctor. His name's Gabor Matei. He wrote a great book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, and it's about addictions. And he talks about, about addiction being poverty in spirit. And he does rely on the Bible for that. It is, I've got this hole 
in my life and I'm trying to fill it in many different ways. And his, he says, those classical music CDs. He just has this urge, it completes him, it fills him. But that's one of the things about humanity is to say, you know what, the way that you set up the world, uh, I've, I've got a better way, God, and I'm going to fill this. Well, even church, even Bible reading, even prayer can become that addiction. Anything apart from the relationship with God uh, can become that addiction. So we actually have to that self-examination and make sure that we ourselves, um, and, and I would say we are an addicted society. We live in a materialistic consumer, uh, even for our identities, can brands sell to us to complete ourselves so that based on whatever product we sell or we use, hey, there is our identity. Yeah, there's a certain status level that you have. I, I, so I had this, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday and we talk about original sin, that we're born into the world as sinners. That's the, that's the doctrine of original sin. It taints us. And I would just add to what you're saying, we, we're almost born tainted by individualism so much that like we, we don't know anything else. And so we just live in the reality that the individual is all that matters. And I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of mine. Yeah. And we've developed these uh, individual rights and freedoms. Those are the things that, you know, you cannot take those away uh, from anyone uh, and they're enshrined. And, but one of those things is that's been very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. hundred percent. That's a lots of good has come from that. Yeah. But yeah. if taken to the extreme, there's people who right now we're in COVID, you know, they're so angry uh, that they're being told to wear a face mask and they have these public outbursts, these freakouts, uh, based, you can't tell me that I need to wear this mask. You know, it infringes my human rights and freedoms. So where are we going with this is actually like, there's a better way. And Jesus or God doesn't say, you know, it's the individual right or the communal right. He doesn't, what creates and builds up this tension. And I use that word, that phrase builds up really intentionally is love. Love builds up and love lays down our rights, our privilege, our ways for the other. And so when we talk about relationship with the poor, that's the way we need to enter. And that's incarnational. That's how Jesus enters our world. It's really surprising. He comes as an Aboriginal, a First Nations in an occupied Latin Roman world. Then he becomes a refugee. He has to flee to Egypt. Why? Because of infant side. So, you know, that's kind of like um, what's happening in the world right now around abortion and uh, the rights of the unborn or the young. And so every single marginalized social and physical marginalization, Jesus enters. Why? So he can enter and redeem all those spheres of poverty. And then he calls us to now follow me and be a part of that renewal that we see in the world. Well, and this, that's really good because I, this is the thing is, if you love God, you will love the things he cares about. It's not like an option for Christians to care for the poor because God cares for the poor. And if you, if I hang out with you, 
I'm going to start loving the things that you do and where you're at. I'm going to go where you are. And it doesn't mean that God's excluded or like he's not. It, my friend Craig gave me a really good example. And he has a ministry in Cambodia in the slums, all based on the incarnational model. And he was really trying to teach on God's bias for the poor because some people, mainly rich people go, well, doesn't God care about us? Well, no, yeah, he cares about us. But this is what Craig said. My daughter broke her leg and she was in a cast. She was totally marginalized. She couldn't do things for herself. And different rules kind of applied in my house. And, you know, I'd say to my son, uh, go take care of her. Go help her. Bring this to her. Go help her out. And my wife and I, like this child in a nearly a full body cast became the center of the home. Why? Because they needed more help. Well, that's the same with the poor. And actually, one of the things is mission and taking care of the marginalized is a great remedy for fighting in the church, agendas in the church, uh, personalities, because, and this is what you're talking about too, is this individualism or self-focus. Great healing comes when we take our eyes off ourselves. one, put them on God and the things he cares about. So I think about Isaiah 58 on this, where there's this fat, like Israel's trying all these fasts and they're like, God, why don't you hear me? He's like, this is the fast that I've chosen to loose the oppression on the poor and to visit the prisoners. And then he says, then you will become a well-watered garden. And so there's like, actually, you want to become better, serve others. If you want to have a better life, uh, and this is it, a lot of people are living life quite opulently, quite comfortably, but there's a lack of meaning and purpose. And so when you discovered this, hey, I've got something to do, people appreciate me, I have, it, it, it does feel good, but I would just caution also like, don't do this so that you feel good. Because when you lose it for that, it, it's not gonna work. Well, Jonathan, thank you for uh, your time and your passion and your knowledge on this subject. And we just know the Lord's using you in such an amazing way and we ask, that he would continue to use you in it as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to part one of the conversation with Jonathan Evans. Part two will be out in a couple of weeks, so check back to make sure you don't miss it. If you'd like to learn more about Jonathan and the Salvation Army, you can check out SalvationArmyVancouver.com. We'll have it linked on the episode page on our website. And we can't wait for you to join us next week as Daniel is back with Dr. Josh Cruz, a psychologist who will be discussing with Daniel the differences between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to conversations around our mental health. In Doubt is all about answering the tough questions of faith in God and the Bible. If this is something that you'd like to be a part of, would you consider participating in our fiscal year-end this month? The goal for In Doubt is to reach $75,000 by June 30th. Your gift would mean so much as we continue answering the tough questions of life and faith that young adults are asking. Check out indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. to give today. If you've been enjoying the Indoubt podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a message on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or send us an email to info at indoubt.ca, letting us know how Indoubt has shaped your worldview or answered some of the toughest questions that life has thrown at you. We're all about community here at Indoubt, so feel free to connect with us. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here next week for our episode with Dr. Josh Cruz, where we'll talk about the connection between our body, mind, and soul. See you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.